You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. And I'll start with good morning. Uh, now that I've turned the recording on and everybody in cyberspace is able to tune in. Uh, so, uh, the a couple of the central questions that we've been dealing with, but the central questions that, that many of us have when it comes to prayer are the following. The first is, um, what is the what ought the balance be between uh, personal prayer, right, that is the things that I pray for for myself, the things that I ask God for, uh, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, fixed liturgy, fixed prayer, which seems in many cases, in most cases, not to really address my own particular uh, needs or concerns. So what should the balance be between those two things? It's, if you, if you uh, um, follow the traditional liturgy and patterns of prayer, uh, for the most part, right, the, the answer seems very clear um, that, uh, that, that the weight should be very heavily on reading the words of the Siddur, right? So that's one, I think, area of tension that we've, uh, we've been discussing and, and uh, want to continue discussing today using this essay from Heschel. But there's a conflation in some ways right, that many people think, um, uh, whether they, they express this um, explicitly or just uh, or, or sort of uh, think this, that, that the prayers will be made more personal, right? the fixed liturgy, the words of the Siddur will be made more personal. You'll mean them more. Uh, they'll become more. Uh, they'll, they'll become the personal supplication. If only you uh, knew how to say them better, or if you knew what they meant better, right? And that's uh, that's often the, so. The conversation. Well, I want to know what the prayers mean, right? And uh, and the what I what I often hear behind that is if I knew what the pra- if I only knew what the prayers meant, if I only could intone um, what they're what they're uh, what, what what I'm really trying to say in those prayers, then it will actually be a personal prayer, right? So it's it's that cluster of uh, of tensions that I think Heschel is trying to address in this essay, which is called an invitation to God. I'm going to skip over about half of it. You're welcome to take the text with you and read the rest of the essay yourself. I want to start at the very bottom of uh, page 15. where he says, Prayer is an invitation to God to intervene in our lives, to let his will prevail in our affairs. It is the opening of a window to him in our will, an effort to make him the Lord of our soul. So that is, um, I think, a deceptively simple statement. Right, on one level, it is talking about prayer the way uh, many of us think that prayer ought to be. Right? Prayer is um, a... a, a, a um, an invitation for God to intervene in our lives. Right? We want God to heal us, or to heal someone that we love, or um, or to provide us with sustenance, or or long life, whatever it is. Right. Um, so that is the the deceptive simplicity of the statement, because I don't think that that's what he's saying about God intervening in our lives. Um, it doesn't mean God swooping down and saving us from the things that we're asking to be saved from. It means God intervening in our lives to stop us from living not godly lives, right? Um, and I'll tell you why I mean that in a second. So we flip the page. We submit our interests to His concern. That's what He means. 
Prayer is an opportunity for us to submit our interests to his concerns. That doesn't mean to like submit it in writing and give it to God. It means to, um, to lay down our interests. To let God's interests become our interests. To seek to be allied with what is ultimately right. Our approach to the holy is not an intrusion, but an answer. Between the dawn of childhood and the door of death, man encounters things and events out of which comes a whisper of truth. Not much louder than stillness, but exhorting and per- persistent. All right, so um, many of you know that I uh, am uh, um, uh, uh, very taken by a, an approach to uh, Jewish uh, philosophy and theology uh, known as process thought. Um, which was a system of uh, uh, philosophy developed by um, a, 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 an English uh, mathematician turned philosopher, Alfred North Whitehead, um, who in turn had a, uh, a student named Charles Hartshorn, um, uh, who really uh, ter- turned Whitehead's philosophy in the area of theology, um, and, uh, and Hartshorn had a student named John Cobb, um, and John Cobb uh, now teaches at Claremont uh, University in, in California, um, but has really kind of done the, um, the the real groundwork in putting process theology into uh, um, uh, into the conversation, uh, the religious conversation nationally. And John Cobb has a student named Bradley Shavit Artson, um, uh, who is uh, my teacher. Right, so. Um, um, so one of the tenets of uh, process theology um, <clears throat> is that God is not a uh, is is not a, um, a, a a coercive force is not a coercive power right God doesn't make you do things and God doesn't punish you for the things that you do wrong or reward you for the things that you do right God is a persuasive power. Right? And that's the only power God has is the power of persuasion. And the the process people usually uh, I um, term that as a divine lure, L U R E, that God constantly beckons, lures us to the next best possible choice, the next most godly possible choice in our lives, knowing that many choices are limited by the choices that we by all the choices that we made up to any given moment. Right, so we are at every moment met with a range of possible options. One of those is the divine lure, and our job in each moment is to follow the lure. If we don't follow the lure in each given moment, then in the next moment we're we're presented with another uh, range of uh, possible options. One of which is the is is the lure again, which can lead us to the next best possible choice in that moment. So I think, even though Heschel wasn't technically a process guy, I hear that in what he's saying here, right? What we do in prayer is we try to attune ourselves to that divine lure, right? That is the the whisper of truth, not much louder than stillness, right? In the language of of, uh, the book of Kings, uh, it's the kold mamadaka, it's the, the the still small voice of God that, uh, that, that kind of persists in our lives, it's the Jiminy Cricket, Right, if you will, right, um, right. It's a not much louder than stillness, but exhorting and persistent. Yet man listens to his fears and his whims rather than to the gentle petitions of God. Right. So constantly we make the choice that doesn't follow the divine lore. We follow our, what our fears, our anxieties, our ambitions, um, our our urges, our lusts, 
whatever <coughs> lead us toward, we don't always pay attention to that uh, to that soft, persistent voice urging us to make the next best possible choice, the most godly choice. We listen to our fears and our whims rather than to the gentle petitions of God. The Lord of the universe is suing for the favor of man, but man fails to realize his correlation. It is the disentanglement of our heart from cant, bias, and ambition, the staving in of the bulk of stupid conceit, the cra- he has strong feelings about this, the cracking of a hollow self-reliance that enables us to respond to this request for our service. Right? Um, there's another essay that we looked at where he said that your prayer is like the Gulf Stream in the ocean, in the, 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 um, the, um, if, if, the, if the body is the microcosm of the world, right, the prayer is the Gulf Stream that brings heat to the, to the cold places. Right? And it's, I hear that in what he's saying here. Right? Prayer is um, an opportunity to, um, to, uh, to, to pull apart the, um, the, the, the urges that drive us m- most of the time to be able to, I- to isolate and identify and hopefully follow God's voice. And so that is, I think, in part the reason why we are given so much more the fixed liturgy than our own personal prayer, because what it's trying to do is get us to hear God's voice, not to get us to have God listen to our voice. The purpose of prayer is not the same same as the purpose of speech. The purpose of speech is to inform. The purpose of prayer is to partake. Right? So that is, I think, a key thing. Right? And that goes in, and uh, because of the time, we'll look at the rest of this essay next time. Um, but, but something that I think is worth keeping in mind, right? when we think about, well, if only I knew the, uh, the meaning of the words of the prayers better, right? then, I would, uh, then I would be uh, having a more personal experience in prayer. But that, I think, assumes that the purpose of prayer is speech, right? that we're talking to God, and so I just need to know what I'm saying better. Right? But that's actually not what Heschel's suggesting prayer is supposed to be. The purpose of prayer is to partake. What he means by partake is to enable God to be a part of our lives. Right? To open ourselves to the divine in to the divine voice. Right? To be able to identify and isolate and then follow the divine lore. Right? It's partaking in God, not asking God to partake in us. I'm going to pause there um, in the interest of time, and maybe we'll continue this essay next week, Um, but uh, I'd like to open it to your thoughts, comments, concerns, questions. Your turn. What is the purpose of written prayer, then? The prayers that we have in the Siddur, would it not be equally as good to sit in a room quietly by ourselves and to think about how we can approach God in the best way to do it. I mean, Buddhists do it one way. Mm -hmm. They have a mantra that they... Quakers have another way. Who has another way? Quakers. Quakers, yeah, sure. Um, It's... So the the question is a good question. I'm going to give you uh, um, a fairly not rabbinic answer to that question. Um, I um, this I, this I don't think would be Heschel's answer, um, but um, uh, um, I, I don't think that the way Jews pray is the only way to do what Heschel is saying. 
uh, maybe not the only way one should do what Heschel's saying. Um, so there was a practice among uh, Hasidim, and they prayed also in the way that we pray, right? but there was a practice among Hasidim to meditate in much the same way that the Buddhists meditate. Um, where they would isolate, you know, one word or one phrase and, and, and chant it, repeat it like a mantra, or, or sit in, in, in stillness. Uh, so there is, I mean, in some ways, um, this is um, a, 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 a good advertisement for the kind of mindfulness meditation um, uh, that, uh, that the Zen Buddhists do and that sort of thing. So I don't think that there's, I think that the way, the, that, uh, the way Jews pray is the way Jews do this. Right, but and it and and it can work, right? Um, and there are other paths that might also work. Um, uh, if, you know, to do this sort of thing Jewishly, right, which is a different level of concern, right, different different area of concern. But to be able to do this uh, level Jewishly, um, then, uh, um, uh, then 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 that's the the path that our tradition has taken. I, I guess there's one other piece, which is that um, that um, the the lure. Um, in the process view, um, and I think I would also argue that uh, it, that, that Heschel's view too is um, um, is context specific, right? So, um, so the the so the divine voice is going to uh, come across different um, and maybe uh, lead in a different path for a Jew than it would a Christian, than it would a Buddhist, than it would a Muslim, etc. Right? So the the kinds of things we remind ourselves of in Jewish prayer, um, the words we Say right the the things we say about God the the values we continually repeat right almost as if it's a mantra um, are not necessarily the same things that a, uh, a a Catholic will say in prayer or a Buddhist will say in prayer or a Muslim will will say in prayer um, and so there is something I think um, beneficial about the unique Jewish practice of prayer for Jews. Right? The, the things we remind ourselves of uh, are in some ways particular, and that's a good thing. But if they are particular, as you suggest, and I agree, if you don't understand words, you don't know the particularity of what you're saying. Yes. And to the extent that uh, you are trying to partake, trying to be led to partake, and hopefully an understanding of the prayer would inform you so that you're better able to partake. Yes. Um, so I agree, I agree with everything you said. Um, the, the, the only... Um, um, you know, so it, uh, it, at the beginning of this essay, he talks about the difference between... Um, you know uh, why intention doesn't really matter when you're in the when you're in the act of prayer, right? You could go into prayer to uh, um, you know to to want a new house, right? Um, uh, but when you're in the midst of the act of prayer, that intention, even for a moment, melts away, and you get lost in the words, just like uh, the person you know um, playing uh, violin in an orchestra. Um, you know, may have started to play the violin because he wants the paycheck from that concert, right? But in the moment of playing the violin, there's at least a moment where where the thought of the paycheck slips away. Um, you know, so the, the the intention is, I think, uh, a, a crucial component of that, right? Is your intention in understanding the prayers? Um, uh, uh, you know, if I if I just knew what I was saying better, God would listen to me more. Or if I just knew what I was saying better, could I listen to God more? Right. So, um, and that's a different kind of uh, uh, of thing. But 
um, I, I'm not I'm not positive that that's what Heschel's saying, and that I think goes to Charlotte's question, um, because there's an argument that could be made that it actually doesn't really matter what the um, what the prayers say, and this goes against what I was saying before. I understand um, that uh, the, there's an argument that can be made that it doesn't really matter what the prayers say. We we repeat them almost in order to get a sort of meditative state. That we do it, it's it's like a mantra, or it's like a, it's it's just a, a way to sort of get us in in a in a zone where we can. Uh, um, have you know that that moment of transcendent experience or that moment of of uh, of, of hearing uh, God's voice? Um, I'm not sure which is right, uh, but those are, but that's another possibility that it actually you could be you could be saying I love ice cream over and over and over again. Um, Sometimes it's more the melody of the liturgy that gets me inspired than actually sitting down and understanding. Sometimes I don't understand what I'm reading, but the melody gets me. Know, to partake more in the service and gets me, me inspired. Right. Yeah, the, I mean the melody, uh, the, the the music is really key, and and also um, I would sug- I would bet it's a different kind of experience, a different um, uh, the, where the music takes you and what it's able to do in um, in a, a, a Jewish prayer service than it does in a rock concert. That doesn't mean it can't transport you in the same uh, in not in the same way. It can't transport you. If I go to a Springsteen concert, I have those moments, right? Um, but uh, but but it is different, right? The kinds of um, uh, places that the, that prayer music takes me is different than the kinds of places that rock music takes me. And also, hold on one second. And also, it depends on the time of year too, right? So the kind of places that the music takes me on the high holidays is different than the kind of places the music takes me on Hanukkah. And then sometimes when I get an understanding of what the prayer actually means, the melody starts to even enforce itself even more, mm-hmm. right? And that I think is is uh, um, uh, goes to this idea. I mean, I think that um, that that um, that even if you don't understand the words of the prayers, maybe especially if you don't understand the words of prayers, it still is context specific, right? So, um, so the the ability to to discern the divine from from prayer actually, I think, is not the same. I, I said it facetiously before. If you repeat "I love ice cream" over and over and over again, right? It, um, it, it, it. Even if you do it in a synagogue, um, it kind of uh, breaks down the context, right? The, the the context of being able to hear God's voice is that you feel like, uh, and maybe this is all, um, you know, uh, psychological trickery we do to ourselves, but even so, it worked. Um, that uh, that the context is I'm in a holy place and I'm intoning holy words and I'm with holy people right um, that are that c- comprise a holy community and so that is specifically the place where I'm going to be able to hear God and there's lots of uh, 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 um, uh, scientific work that's done in this right and, you know sort of like what what happens in sweat lodges right that sort of thing right is do people actually um, get mystical experiences or is it do they do they it, because they intend to go in there having a mystical experience, right? That they um, that they are able to uh, have have a moment of transcendence. Um, so I'm not sure if it necessarily matters one way or the other. Um, and I think that the same is true in prayer. I don't know who said it to me. It's my son or someone said, "Well, I don't need to understand it. God understands what I'm saying as long as I say it." Yeah. Sometimes reading the translation, you read enough of it. It's so boring, repetitive, <laughs> yeah, right? Repetitive. It's, it has no meaning. So it's better sometimes not to know all of it. I mean, I can translate some of it, not all of it. Right. But I feel better just doing the Hebrew without looking at English. 
Uh, I have uh, Israeli friends that uh, that that have said to me, you know, I wish that the that either I wish I didn't know Hebrew or I wish the prayers weren't in Hebrew uh, because because I understand them and I don't, you know, it's not that I disagree necessarily with what they're saying, but it just it it feels like because if you knowing them or reading it in the vernacular or reading it in the language, uh, which is why there was a lot of resistance in much of Jewish history to Jews um, speaking Hebrew as uh, as their you know sort of conversational language. You knew prayer book Hebrew, you knew. Torah Hebrew, and that's about it. You never spoke it in the street, um, so you you had a sense of what you were saying in the prayers, but it wasn't like you were speaking the vernacular, right? There was something that remained holy about the uh, uh, about the uh, you know of all the great things that come with the revival of the Jewish language. That I think is one thing that may have been lost um, the the sense of the uh, sanctity of of, uh, of of Hebrew, um, the the sense that when you, um, it's uh, you know there are Catholics that feel like this too about Latin, right? There was a move after Vatican II, right? The um, uh, prayer services were were expected to be conducted in the vernacular, right? Uh, but many Catholics um, uh, still today argue, Mel Gibson being one of them, Yimach uh, Shemo. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but I just remember him saying this, right? That uh, um, that there that, that there is a, uh, a you know a, a real power. To praying in a language you don't understand, right? Pray, uh, praying in a language that that you and no one else speaks. Right? If we sang the prayers in English, it may not mean as much to me as singing them to you. All right. Oh, Charlotte. Yes. Yeah. You get the you get the last word. No, not really. Um, and then there's the universalist approach, which is that one can. Uh, partake of God best by making a dinner for 40 individuals and taking it down to a homeless shelter and serving people who need the food. And that's that's another way of praying, isn't it? Mindy says no, I never say no. So, I I, I want to say yes, but. So, Heschel is famous for having said in the when he was marching in Selma, um, I felt as though my feet were praying. Right? Um, so, uh, the, from a certain perspective, yes, right that that uh, that that can be a uh, that can be prayerful, right? Um, uh, in in the same sorts of ways that he's describing, but I but I don't think that that's the but is that that can't be the only prayer, right? right. Because there, um, uh, because, because Abe is right, right? There, there's, there's a difference between tzedakah and prayer, right? Um, uh, prayer deepens and reconnects us to those commitments, even if we already have them. It, uh, it, it uh, enlightens. It might open us up to the idea that, uh, that, that actually what God needs us to do uh, tomorrow is not feed 40 homeless people, but uh, it's to go uh, clean up uh, in, uh, 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 an environmental disaster area. Right? I, who knows, right? That, what we might hear in prayer. So um, the idea that the only thing you need to do prayer-wise is is uh, is is you know what your tzedakah project of choice. Um, I think rings to me a little bit shallow. Right? Heschel said my feet were praying in Salma, but then he went and daven mincha. Right? Um, right. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Uh,